Welcome to Hadar's Web, a podcast featuring community conversations on spirituality, healing, justice, and art. My name is Hadar Cohen. I am your host, and I am delighted to invite you to my relational web. Welcome to another episode. Today, I am joined with Ahmed Zad Khan, also known as the Healing Khan. He is a life coach and a queer Muslim activist, part of the Arab-Lebanese diaspora in Berlin. His work focuses on interdisciplinary healing. Welcome, Ahmed. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you for having <laughs> me, actually. We're in your home, so... <laughs> I like to start my podcast by asking people how you know me, because, you know, really this podcast is about relationships and connections and and centering that. So how do we know each other? Okay, I'm going to start really far away from that, okay? Okay. I, I had this person that was a spiritual teacher to me who said, if God wants to change your life, um, it's going to be changed by meeting a new person. Like mm. you meet someone and then this energy exchange changes your energy by that everything you attract and basically everything is changed just by that interaction and meeting you comes because I met Natalie and it's because I met Dennis Mm. and it's because I met other people so I was um, working with this person here in Berlin Dennis who was part of um, the Muslim Jewish conference and this is where he met Natalie Natalie Ginsburg and I was living in Colombia last year and then he reached out to me randomly one day and he was like, oh, my friend Natalie, she's so cool. And she's in Colombia. So she have, she's in your city by coincidence. You have to meet her today. If you can, please go and meet her. Listen to my intuition. My intuition told me to work there. And so I went there and met Natalie. And then because of Natalie and she shared your your content with me and your courses in class which was like oh you have to meet Hadar and her stuff is so interesting and I think you would love each other and this was like almost a year ago so I think since then I've been following you and then someday I saw okay you're coming to Berlin and by then I was in Berlin again and I was like okay okay Natalie told me I have to meet this person I really like her content and so I came around and uh, reached out to you, I think, and I was like, "Hey, I'm in Berlin," because you were asking, like, "Hey, yeah. Berlin peeps or something like that," and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, make it with me." It's true, and you were actually—I remember the first time we met. I just got off a flight, and then I went straight to your queer Muslim healing circle. All oh, right, no, there was a meetup. There was a meetup. Yeah, um, there was a like the, you know, just a hangout. Basically. Okay, but um, yeah, it's I love these spaces because I just mix all kinds of people together, and then trust that they will you know figure out how to be with each other even though they've never met them they might be very different from each other yeah definitely yeah and I love how you trace just the lineage of the network of this person connected to this person and just this flow of life and I was just really struck by when you said how you decided to listen to your intuition Mm -hmm. and you know from knowing you and I know that intuition and listening to yourself is something that's like very important Mm -hmm. and 
curious how, what you mean by listening to your own intuition? How have you come to understand your own intuition? What does it look like for you to listen to your intuition? I mean, you can't really see that right now, but like my eyes are tearing up just when I tap into, you know, when I receive um, and try to tap into my truth, everything comes up and so I get emotional. Mm. Um, but yeah, intuition is really important to me because I think without it, I would have died so many times already. Um, and yeah, someone recently told me because they, they are getting to know me and they're realizing how clumsy I am and how forgetful I am. And then like, how are you surviving day by day? And then I told that person, seriously, I don't know. Because sometimes I have my headphones on, super loud. I walk across the street, you know, sometimes jaywalk. And then something in me tells me to stop for a second and look at something. And then, you know, the train just passes me. And then, <laughs> like, just a step forward and I would have died or something like that, right? Yeah. Or, like, uh, you know, in Latin America also started weird trips where people told me, why are you doing that? It sounds dangerous. And I'm like, mm, nah, my intuition is telling me everything's fine. I don't feel in danger. And then go and then they actually are almost dangerous, but I just do whatever this something tells me and then it end up and it ends up fine. Mm-hmm. And I think it's this voice that I needed to connect to and um, trust in a very young age because I grew up with a lot of violence and a lot of pain. And I don't know, I feel like I was always born with it, like it was always there. And I trusted it more than everything else or anything else. And, you know, my parents or like family in that difficult household or like upbringing, people always used to tell me that I, that I'm arrogant because I don't listen to the grown-ups. I just listen to myself and I always know better. And in some things I would just know, like, no, I don't want to go this way. Yeah. I don't want to go on the street because, you know, intuition. And then when you follow it, it proves itself. It shows you that it's right. It shows you that it was worth it to listen to it and this way you kind of you know trust it and by decision by decision and i feel like for people that don't really have a strong connection to their intuition the best advice is travel mm. alone go somewhere totally different um you know you don't have the the common roads to take and the decisions you're making no habits everything is new and then if you're alone you have to basically lean in and listen to that voice more than you usually have to and then this is when you start listening and like hearing everything yeah yeah definitely i mean i relate i travel a lot and when you put yourself just in unknown places and sometimes even uncomfortable places you learn what it is that you actually rely on right for the truth or for your own truth and it's interesting that you said that as a child people would say that you're arrogant because I had the same thing actually (laughs) people would always be like you're egotistical and I remember even since I was like five or six like I don't even know what a five or six year old like arrogant egotistical child looks like like. yeah but it was because I was really trying to connect to God or to connect to this higher truth and um yeah, was willing to kind of let go of what people were saying around me and, and listen to something else, listen to something bigger. Um, and I know that this is in some ways a core part of your work is helping other people mm-hmm. connect mm-hmm. Um, in this way as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's usually more connecting them with themselves again Yeah, rather than connecting them with, with something bigger or, yeah, but sometimes it's intuition too. Or like, you know, their gut feeling. But that um, actually brings me to a story. You know, I'm from, I'm Muslim. I have a Muslim background. So it's often that kind of stuff. 
but I have a story that I tried to tease you before, um, which is, so I sometimes give workshops in Berlin with different NGOs and school, at schools about everything regarding discrimination. So sometimes it's gender, sexuality, but also anti-Muslim racism, which is very big in Europe and especially in Germany. And so we had this class and I will never do this again because they asked us to give a workshop on Islam, anti-Muslim racism and gender, gender roles and gender. So that big span within four or five hours. And so I thought at the beginning, I just thought about, can I pull this off? Can I teach them all that um, within these few hours? But the question I should have asked rather than that was like, can I give them so much and all this, all these new perspectives and then trust like and integrate that at the same time before letting them go, these really young souls and without like making them feel lost in the world after, you know, breaking all their perspectives and stuff mm -hmm. and the view on the world. And so, um, yeah, and so I went to the spray shop and then half of the kids at the, at the school, um, sorry, half of the kids, half of the kids at the school didn't have, no, half, <laughs> half of the kids at the school had a Muslim background. And one kid, like one girl especially, she was 10 years old. And she had a really conservative, difficult background where, you know, she was constantly saying in this workshop that, well, um, does she, she did, she doesn't have any rights. Her brother has them. She's a girl. Girls are supposed to be quiet. She has to become a good wife and all this stuff. And it's hard because if you go into a workshop like that with kids, you don't want to give them too much because you have to respect that they're being parented by someone else. Um, you don't want the parents to be super angry and do something that stops this kind of education. But at the same time, you want to give them something that might help them, right? And then so she was constantly saying these things that she doesn't have rights and tradition. And in her tradition, she's supposed to be quiet. And like, you know, in the afterlife, she will get her reward. And it was so heavy on me. And then we kept and then we talked about everything and gender. And this was so, everything was so new to her. And it was like also this teaching of, there is not one Islam, different ways. There are different streams for one. And even within those streams, there are different ways um, um, of living that. So, yeah, so that girl basically told me that she has to follow her tradition. And it was very interesting to learn everything about gender and that it's not in gender roles where they come from and that not everybody fits into these boxes. But she has to go back to her tradition. And in her tradition, it's just the way it is. And I was kind of sad to listen to that and like to hear that basically just give up at this young age and know what she has to go through. Um, but then I thought, okay, hey, tradition is nice. And that's what I told her. Tradition is nice. And they often have functions that are really important and helpful to us. And they are often rooted in some, um, you know, in some event in the past where ancestors realized okay, this is our circumstance and it's really helpful to live this way because then, you know, it, it, it serves a purpose. Um, but sometimes we forget why, why they even started this tradition. And sometimes we don't even need it anymore because the circumstance where this tradition, you know, developed is not there anymore. So we always have to ask, okay, why these traditions or why these values or why this perspective, where, where does it come from? What services 
as a da, of what purpose is it serving, right? And that's that's one. And the other thing was the story that I gave her with like monkeys. Um, they did several experiments with monkeys that they put in a box collectively, right? And then um, there was one, like a few bananas hanging from the ceiling. And whenever a monkey was trying to get up the ladder to get to a banana, they would collectively punish everyone with electroshocks. So her first reaction listening to that was like shocked eyes and looking to me. And I was like, I know, I know, it's not good. Keep listening. Um, and then whenever, and then they started replacing monkeys in that box with other monkeys. Um, and then they would start collectively punishing each other whenever someone tried to go up. And then they replaced them one monkey after the next until all the monkeys were replaced. And by then, no monkey that was in the box has ever gotten an electroshock. But they kept the tradition of punishing each other whenever somebody was trying to go for a banana. Wow. So they don't even know why they were doing that. They just learned it's bad to go for bananas. So we punish whoever tries to go for them. And so this was the example that I gave her to be like, okay, traditions are good. They serve a purpose. But maybe they don't anymore. And most people don't even know why they do things. When you ask them, like, why is this bad? Why is this wrong? Why do you think this way? They don't know. They're like, oh, we've always been doing it this way, right? Yeah. And then that helped her. And then I looked at her and I was like, and you remember when I said electroshocks and monkeys and you got big eyes? There was something within you, deep within you, that was like, no, that's not good, mm -hmm. right? And you say you love God so much and you do this for God. God gave you a compass. He gave you a feedback in your gut feeling. He gave you a deep no when you hear electroshocks and monkeys. You don't have to listen to me. You don't have to listen to your family, to society, or to traditions. You have to listen to that compass because God is there. You know, he's already in you. He's already in, in that compass. So uh, if you doubt or if you're not sure what to do and what's right and what's wrong, Always go with that compass. Yeah. And then I could let her go. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I can't let you go. That was a beautiful teaching moment. I mean, yeah, I relate a lot because I think oftentimes when we think about religion, we think it's like something from the outside that's coming with a set of rules that then we have to impose on us. But actually, right, as you said, that God is within us. So it's when we're listening to God, it's actually listening to ourselves. It's not about just, you know, blindly abiding rules but it, it is actually about finding this deeper connection to yourself um and you know this we've talked about this in so many ways but it's like when you're at an intersection of so many different identities and and you're trying to create the space of healing both for your community and you're trying you know on the one hand to like living in germany to um yeah, like really fight against discrimination and Islamophobia that is very much alive here, but then coming into, you know, community, Muslim community and holding this queer identity and really trying to hold in and also the Lebanese identity part. So I'm curious, like, how do you kind of hold all these intersectional identities? Um, you know, I think it's one of the things that we've been talking about that I think is so beautiful is that through the listening to yourself, you can really start to create and embody what it is that you want. But sometimes it's really hard. I mean, I feel this too. It's like being a mix at the center of so many different communities who are all wanting different things from you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard. So I'm curious how you, you relate to all of that. You know, I just, I think I accept people's blindness. Mm. In a way. Like I, I see that I also get, you know, I do a lot of inner child work as part of my healing circles and my coaching. And whenever I overreact because of some trigger or other people, I always have this reminder of see the inner child. 
become aware of it. It's always there, but like we're not aware of it. Is this adult me that's reacting right now or is this triggered in a child, right? And at the same time, when people react or overreact, I now, because of practice, I'm so aware of this child sitting in front of me or the child within them um, that jumped to the microphone of herself and basically is now speaking to me. And I'm like, okay, okay, I hear you. What is your need? What is the pain, right? Um, so it's not their full aware, rational, healed self that speaks in these moments. And that's one thing. I always see their inner child coming up and I see their lack of perspective. And sometimes you speak um, from your wound and you're not, you know, from your mind, basically. And you can't really fully react accordingly, but like how people want you to. And so and this is where like now my mostly or to a big extent healed self, we never fully heal, right? Like yeah. All my ancestors pain with me and I still have all this pain from, you know, everything's pain everywhere in a way. But I think I'm healed enough to, um, see the blessing in me and, and all these labels that I carry. Right? Like I have all of these perspectives. Whenever you don't fit a mold, you become aware of the mold itself, mm-hmm. right? They are not aware of the mold there in the matrix, their conditioning, the roles that they play in society. Um, cis people like you know i'm also a cis man but like without my work or like you know my contact with trans people i would never would have never thought about me fitting into in a gender role that society has given me i fit like why should i think about that i'm a human of course i would never doubt that just they told me from a young age i felt that was right and then yeah like when somebody tells me like hey 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 or when I feel like I don't really fully fit in here, I start doubting the context. I start doubting the matrix, the system, the structure. And then I become aware of it. I see the pain that it inflicts on people, but I see also the stability it gives other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and these perspectives, like having these, even though they mean pain at first because you don't fit in, as soon as you find your third culture community or like this international community or like your individual healing as soon as you come out of there and you kind of are okay with it, what remains is the blessing of perspective, mm. right? And so I know that if I fully go into the Arab community or in the Muslim community or the conservative Muslim community or the white queer community, I know they lack perspectives to understand. And and you can either say they lack perspective or you can say they have the privilege of fitting in. I think it's, you can see this as privilege and this as privilege. I think depending on how healed you are, both can be privilege. And I know a lot of people don't want to say that, don't want to hear that. Um, it's not this, it's not this message of like, oh, pain makes me stronger, but perspective is blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, also being able to sit with your own pain, it's like, that's where you grow so much, both. You grow your own resilience, but yeah, you grow your awareness, your knowledge, like the more you relate to your own pain, your own history, the more you can actually connect to other people mm-hmm. instead of living in these, you know, rigid binaries of what's identity and what's true and what's not true. And, and the biases, right? The and bias. the biases. Yeah. And I really love what you said about, you know, the mold and many people are not aware of the mold until they're basically asked to be, are challenged by that, by people who break the mold. And I think one of the things that you're really good at is really staying present with people as they're breaking their molds. Because, mm-hmm. you know, some people, they get triggered by people. You're like, oh, you're just seeing this in this way. And so I'm going to walk away from you and I'm not going to engage. Mm-hmm. 
but you know I think you have such beautiful stories of like having people like you know project things onto you having people make all these assumptions and somehow you're still staying present in relationship and allowing them to let the mold deconstruct mm-hmm. I think it comes from I, I have a deep love for humans <laughs> so, me too we share this <laughs> right? it's, it's, like you know they might stab me and then I, I have sometimes I see this image of like they stab me and then I hold their hand and I look into their eyes and I'm like, I believe you because I know it's not actually about me. And in a way, we're all one, we're all connected and we're all like, this is also like based on my beliefs. I believe I came here for a reason. I believe I came here to uh, to be part of this collective and to um, you know, figure things out, to understand life, to move forward, to find God here. Um as this comes from Sufism, right? But like find my lover everywhere and see God in other people and see God in flowers and see God in the walls and music that is being played. Like the message, I love you is everywhere. Um, But the waking up hurts because there's a transition of waking up, realizing that you're disconnected. And there, I think most people are in, in the conscious state of, or the consciousness state of accepting the disconnection and grief of they feel the deep disconnection they feel there's something i was disconnected from and we then start projecting that onto other events in our life i was disconnected from my homeland i was disconnected from my mother as a kid i was disconnected from my youth i was disconnected from my dream but i think on the root of that is the deep disconnection of we we were somewhere connected with something probably god or something else but like we all feel that there's something deep missing and i think this is it's supposed to be that way because otherwise when if that hole wasn't there we wouldn't move we would just sit there and be like content yeah we wouldn't seek for truth for authenticity for and all that i don't know how i got here but uh, (laughs) uh, i have this deep love for people because i feel like i see this process of them and then the same way i hold my inner child and then I see this isn't my pain, but I'm connected to that pain. And this pain is within me. This is another like form of seeing it. The pain is within me, but it's not my pain. It's the pain of my child. And I can hold him in pain. Mm-hmm. I hold him while he's lashing out at me. You know, sometimes we're angry at ourselves, right? Definitely. He's lashing out at me and like he's in pain and all that. And he's telling me that it's all unfair and painful. And then I hold him and I'm like, yeah, I hear you. Okay. Um, and the same way I do it with other people, I hold their my pain, but then it's mostly my inner child on one hand, and then they basically take give the other hand out to their inner child. I'm like, okay, I know you're lashing out, and try not to try not to hit me, please. <laughs> Boundaries are very important with yourself and with other people there too. But behind that boundary, I'm still having like still reaching out my hand, and I'm sitting here with you trying to figure out this pain and letting it fade away basically after feeling it yeah yeah does that make sense yeah (laughs) yeah I'm with you I feel you yeah I mean I love everything you were saying especially about we have this like big disconnection inside of us and we're constantly trying to fill it in some ways some sometimes in you know patterns that don't serve us sometimes we're not really aware that you know the reason why I'm lashing out at another person is because I can't actually hold my own pain Mm -hmm. right um and all these very like psychological dynamics. And, you know, a lot of the times they kind of get um, really obstructed in activist or justice world where we think we're like doing justice, but really we're just lashing out at each other because we in some ways have an inability to hold this much pain, this much grief, this much loss. And, and you know, I get it because 
there's a lot of loss. There's a lot of grief. There's been a lot of violence. There still is a lot of violence. And this is something that I personally struggle with too. It's like, what is this connection between this healing work, this justice work, this spiritual work? I mean, they all feel so connected. Um, but sometimes it's hard because the communities who practice them are separated. Exactly. And sometimes, I mean, we can only feel so much. We all have like a limited capacity of feeling. Yeah. So I try to work towards having more capacity to hold space, which is my job in so many ways. Sometimes I, you know, I just have days where that's limited and then I have to limit how much I work. Right. But um, other people just don't have, like I grew up with people my mom had such a tough story growing up, okay, and living in civil war, and then basically, uh, you know, getting away from that, coming to Germany. Um, but because of that, I, I had to understand at some point, this has nothing to do with me. She just can't hold my pain because she she's barely holding her her own, right? And then sometimes I would be like, why in this in this in, in these fights with her, like. Or the other people in my family that also live deep trauma. Why can't they be the growing up? Why do I have to be the adult here and like accept, like forgive them and like, you know, be quiet and just understand that they are how they are. They can be better. Um, now I understand it's just, you know, they, they've collected so much pain and trauma in their life and the capacity is full. They just mm-hmm. can't. Right? And the same way I told you that story of like me traveling. Um, in Latin America and you meet so many Israelis there and uh, as an Arab or like as a Lebanese also you are always whenever you meet there's this elephant in the room both are asking themselves like okay am I safe here do you hate me do you think I hate you <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, right. it's always that and then it's often I haven't, it's often the same thing of when they figure out that I have like them app. It's really interesting. For Israelis, it's always an Arab. They don't really like understand that they're like different ethnicities, different, but it's often like, oh, you're an Arab. And then they start like, oh, Wahat name. And then <laughs> they start counting with, their, with this accent. Right? And like, yeah. yeah, 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 I know, I know. They're like, Habibi, every other second. We're cousins. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Which, again, I try not to get annoyed by that because I try to see the intention of that child mm-hmm. trying to reach out to me and be like, hey, I don't actually want to be having a problem with you. Can't we be friends? Yeah. Right? This is the, what the child actually is saying. And then, of course, there's also the pain within me coming up whenever they confront me. Like, you spend time with these people because they're the same, you know, same context. And then you are always confronted with the sorry, but bullshit images there are being fed or like, you know, history they're being fed or like, you know, when we came there, there was only desert. Yeah. And then um, it's, it hurts this kind of, and then, you know, a part of me doesn't want to interact with that. And I don't want to educate people on history or whatever. Um, but then again, I try to understand that it's not them. It's the structure behind them um, that has made them who they are and then has influenced them. And this is also about like, becoming conscious of certain things. It's also pain. Like the same way when we talk about racism in general or like anti-black racism and we talk about white people, there's also like now Nazis in Germany. There's so much pain in waking up to that also as a white person, realizing that it was all done in your name, right? Um, And I try to see all these kinds of pains. Like we're all together in this really big, meshed up uh, you know not work of pain mm-hmm. and then 
Yeah, and then you have these moments when I told you that story of like uh, Aya that I met in the Caribbean, and we we really liked each other. But whenever she drank a little more in that group, she started telling everyone, "Ahmed doesn't actually like me. He hates me. Like he hates me because I'm a Jew, or he doesn't actually like me because I'm a Jew." And I was like, Aya, like, and she kept saying that every now and then. I'm like, Aya, I really don't have a problem with you. I don't know you yet. <laughs> like, how can I hate you? Um, but you, you could see that this image of like this Arab that can possibly really like her. He has to be fake, right? Um, was so deep programmed in her head. And then also when I tried to tell the people, like, um, when they ask me, like, when they often the people ask me, like, do Lebanese people really hate us? Like Israelis often like, oh, I you know, do, do Lebanese really hate us? And I'm like, yeah, some do. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Um, but I also don't know you as a person. They yeah. know the label Israeli and all that pain that was inflicted by that label and what they relate to that label. And so you, they are hating an image of what they think you are the same way when people hate queer people because of their own fear. Of course, it doesn't justify things at all, right? But yeah. it explains that they don't have a problem with you as an individual, really. They don't know you. But they're so in pain when it comes to certain labels or modes that they have to um, fulfill or you are threatening in a way. And so I often also tell people from story that... Um, sorry, I'm like on, on and on and on. <laughs> it's okay. We keep going, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's um you know i tell them about my brother-in-law who grew up in the south of lebanon and then uh, whenever i mention israeli friends he gets really tense and i understand because one day we had a conversation and he was like you have to understand like I, as a teenager there was this missile or rocket or whatever that um came into my village and then you know it hit really close to where we were playing as a teenager right and um, then they all went to that rocket or missile or whatever, and it, on it was written or whatever was left of it was written. This is for the this is from the children of Israel for the children of Lebanon. And you know, when you hear these stories and know that kids grew up seeing these images, of course they will believe. Okay, them over there, they hate us. They want to kill us, and so we have to hate them back as as uh, self protection. But also, then I. Then faced my brother-in-law and was like, hey, okay, but now you're an adult. Just listen to me for a second. Do you really believe that a child wrote that? And he was like, no, you're right. And I was like, yeah. I was like some grown-up asshole in the military who, you know, had a power complex or whatever and, like, really wanted to put out more hate. And so that's what he then did. It wasn't all the Israeli people. It wasn't some child. It wasn't the children of Israel, whatever. Um yeah. Yeah. But so I think I understand like his capacity in that context to hold other opinions when those opinions have confronted him with hate and I'm going to kill you and whatever. They're just closed. There are no capacities there. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, even reflecting with me as a child, like I know that I was conditioned right to think of people in a certain way that just wasn't true, you know? And, and in some ways, all of us are conditioned in ways to think about certain groups of people that's like, oh, these people are this or these people are that. And, you know, in some ways, I think it's because 
we're all looking for someone to blame, right? Because in, in some ways, the pain that we're holding is unbearable. And, mm-hmm. and these systems are constantly using us like, to pit each other against each other. And, you know, something that I reflect a lot about is how um, so much injustice can continue because our communities are really segregated and separated mm-hmm. and there isn't space for relationship. And I, and I don't want to say this in the way of like, you know, the superficial dialogue sense, because we have to also acknowledge imbalances of power and, and systemic oppression. But there's something about like, we really need to have some multi-faith, multicultural, multiracial spaces that bring people of different identities who have shared values together to decondition because it's really hard to just decondition it on your own, you know, and even with your own self-segregated community, like this is something that I'm struck by so often is just how even when there's no walls, there's no borders, like people still choose to self-segregate into communities because it feels more comfortable for them. But I, yeah, for me personally, I feel like so much of the healing work happens when we can really like, decondition those narratives relationally and communally i think a lot of this work is happening in queer communities because they are different it's like a mix of people that are very different from each other when it comes to race when it comes to ethnicity background all these things right like there are labels that are um, confronted with um even in the queer spectrum it's an umbrella term right there are people like who in a way know how to how like they they um they sympathize with the other person's experience with being different, not fitting the goal, but where exactly they weren't fitting or how or how intense, it's different from person to person. And still they like kind of connect over that joint umbrella term. And um, yeah, I think in a lot of ways, um, queerness is a key for healing, mm-hmm. queer communities where uh, people, you know, meet each other. I see that a lot also that, you know, also when it is, I mean, um, I also just, you know, I'm going to Burning Man next week um, as part of this camp and um, the Cosmic Camels. <laughs> and um, there was this guy that reached out to me, this Palestinian guy that wants to um, propose to his boyfriend, an Israeli boyfriend. And I find this so beautiful, like, you know, just a symbol, like two guys, one Palestinian and one Israeli, but it's reality. It's not some sort of man yeah. fiction. This is happening in real life because they're fed up with all these like um, reasons to hate each other or um, generally like uh, doesn't matter. Like because we're already like we're being told that, you know, you're a guy and you can't love another guy. And then it makes it easier for you to disregard this like, oh, you're Arab. You cannot like another person that's or you're Muslim. You can't like a Jew. You're an Arab. You can't like it. You know, all these binaries that society is paying. You disregard them more in queer spaces because you're already used to like, oh, this is just society and they're weird, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're already in that. Where we're going to get healing. Yeah, that third space, the in-between identities, like where everything really starts to fall apart and you're just like, you know what? Humanity. (laughs) But at the same time, it's still like, when I say that, I, you know, you always get this attack of like normalization, normalization. Like I think by having these contexts and telling Aya, Aya, I don't hate you and telling Aya, but Aya at the same time, the history of being fed is kind of bullshit to an extent. Right. Um, this is where change comes in, right? And this is where care comes in because when people then like, you know, shout at the label and the, 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 
you know, the fantasy of what an Israeli is and who he hates and who he wants to kill and what he wants. I have Aya in my head and have other people in my head like now that we mentioned her. Of course, I think of her, but like, I know that this isn't what she wants. Yeah. I know this isn't who she is. And so um, I think this is where, um, yeah, like a big crucial part of this, the change comes in. Definitely. Yeah, because ultimately these systems of oppression are really built on this way in which fear lives in our body, you mm-hmm. know, and the way that fear, fear of the other, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people don't question it. They just internalize it and it amplifies until they have someone come and like rupture that for them. They're like, oh, yeah, maybe I didn't know this history here. Maybe I was just, you know, thinking that this person I just met hates me because of some really like governmental propaganda. <laughs> yeah, right. Like. These these moments of rupture, I think, are are so important, and in some ways, they can only really happen through relationship because, you know, people are not necessarily. If you're in the mold, you're not going to know to move out of the mold exactly <laughs> until someone like comes and pokes you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you said something really interesting before of like we're all trying to move the pain, like away from like not feel the pain and move away or move it to someone else. Yeah. And I feel like in a, in a way this is happening everywhere. Like everyone is trying to push the, the take their own pain because it's just too big. We don't want to sit there and feel all the world pain. Right? And I think collectively it's this pain of disconnection and not understanding and waking up to so much destruction. Yeah. Like we're all, we come here and think everything's fine, but like we're disconnected. And then we wake up to so much disconnect and destruction. And so everyone is pushing this to someone else, to a bigger institution, to another country, to another time, like everyone in, in on all levels of life, we're all just pushing it away instead of holding. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where creating spaces, spaces in your mind and as perspectives and um, capacities, mental capacities, uh, mental health, right? Creating all these and all of that is capacity, right? All of that is room. Create space, more and more space, and hold that space instead of moving it away um, for you, for other people and like allowing pain to come in pain in really emotional, like, you know, an emotional body, you can feel the pain, pain and, and words and all of that, allowing the pain in there to open, to release, to be felt. This hurts. And then to dissipate after being processed. I think this is ultimately how we heal, not ourselves only, but our community our family, friends, and the whole world, because we have to see it as this big network of pain that's constantly moved away. And if we then create like here and there and there and there, and like, I'm thinking of your projects, I'm like, oh, I'm going to join you, right? And, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, all these ideas of like, oh, we can create different spaces within ourselves, in our communities, but also around the world, physical spaces, where we open a space for pain to enter, for it to transform through perspectives, education, spiritual work, to release, to be felt, and then to dissipate. It's this mm-hmm. charge that has mm-hmm. to go somewhere, right? Yeah. And right. yeah, don't know. I just have this image of this network and like you have to hold and open somewhere. Yeah. And all these places to do pop, pop and hold, hold until it dissipates, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, everything going to calm down just at the same time there's more energy accumulated and creative yeah while we do this whole like oh we have to open here, <laughs> open there. but but we get stronger when we hold it together yeah. you know because none of us can do it alone yes. like we need this collective field in a way 
And and the more we fortify that, the more we can actually hold. Uh, yeah, but this is, I mean, then boundaries become really crucial because this is what you have to learn when you start alone. And when you open a space, then people will throw all their pain at you. Oh, yeah. I, have I mean, especially with Pisces, babes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, later on, Pisces. Me too. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, of course, they... And I have this thing of like people, you know, I understand like I care about you and stuff, but I can't meet you all the time and then right. hold your pain because then I overload my capacities and then I'm not able to work anymore. And, and uh, then also there's a dependency that's created. That's exactly. like, I can't hold my own pain. Ahmed has to hold it for me all the time exactly. when really it's supposed to be this training wheel, right? Like sometimes like, and I think this is the, the role in sometimes of healers is to help train people on how to hold their own pain. Yes. Like sometimes I can do that for you when you are struggling, but really the goal should be like also teaching skills and resources to how to do this. Cause we, we need to learn how to self-regulate our nervous system. Um, Definitely. And I think this is like the, <laughs> the typical, um, well, how do you, how do you call that? Like the typical thing of inner child workers of like everything, the key to everything is in the child work. Right. <laughs> because yeah. this is what you do. This is like when you teach people to disso- dissociate in a way, which sounds negative, but it isn't in that way. It's like a tool of like, mm-hmm. this isn't my pain. I feel it, but this is his pain or her pain or their pain, right? This child that I'm feeling, I can dissociate from that pain. I can observe it from outside and I can like, oh, what are you feeling, right? And why are you feeling that? Thinking of like closing the eyes and imagining this you as a child and then like talking to that child. I'm like, okay, why are you feeling this? This way you can hold space for yourself. And I always say like, I love to hold my own hand, go through oh. things with me, right? I'm doing right yeah. now. <laughs> Holding hand. <laughs> and I think this is a tool. Inner child work is one yeah. tool that you can use to, um, to hold space for yourself. Because you're holding space for that part of you that is feeling the pain. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom. I'm curious if there's anything we didn't touch on yet that you want to <laughs> make sure our listeners know. Um, no, I think it was beautiful. I think, uh, yeah, I always, you know, always trust where things flow. Yeah. Of course, I mean, we always have so much to talk about, right? Yeah. Like, we always have messages that we want the, the world to listen to, but... Again, we don't want to overload capacities and um, better give people two messages that they take rather than eight, and then they don't really fully take them in. So Yeah, definitely. And if there's ways that people who are listening to this want to follow your work, want to keep in touch, what are the best ways they can follow you? Uh, I I have a website that's thehealingcon.com or the Healing Con on Instagram, um, con with K-H. A N the H before the N uh, before the A, <laughs> so the healing con. But you mean you, you they can just go in your profile and then yeah, look in your followers. <laughs> right, right. Search for me. Well, thank you so much, Ahmad. This was thank so beautiful. You thank you for this. Um, yeah, this moment of sharing so much of your wisdom. I was really moved by so much of what you shared, and also resonate very deeply um, with both your work, your perspective, and. Um, yeah, it's very clear the commitments that you have to the love of humanity, to truth, to to yourself, which is in service of our greater healing. So thank you so much. Thank you. I think we're doing a lot of similar work, which is on different sides in a way. Yeah. Not the different side. I'm not talking <laughs> about like, oh, Jew, Muslim, whatever. Like, I'm just saying generally, yeah? Of course. Um, <laughs> right? Wait, are, am I on the Muslim side or oh, the Jewish side? <laughs> I mean, because you're Arab, people don't really want yeah. to give you the Jewish. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> um, but 
Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you also for the chapter and the joint memories in Berlin, because we don't know if we'll walk in the city at the same time again. It's a beautiful chapter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if we ever look back on this, so also thank you for all of these moments. Oh, so, so wonderful to spend them with you. So yeah, so that girl basically told me that she has to follow her tradition and it was very interesting to learn everything about gender and that it's not in gender roles where they come from and that not everybody fits into these boxes, but she has to go back to her tradition and in her tradition, it's just the way it is. And I was kind of sad to listen to that and like to hear that basically just give up at this young age and know what she has to go through. Um, but then I thought, okay, hey, Tradition is nice, and that's what I told her. Tradition is nice, and they often have functions that are really important and helpful to us. And they are often rooted in some, um, you know, in some event in the past where ancestors realized, okay, this is our circumstance, and it's really helpful to live this way because then, you know, it serves a purpose. Um, but sometimes we forget why, why they even started this tradition. And sometimes we don't even need it anymore because the circumstance where this tradition, you know, developed is not there anymore. So we always have to ask, okay, why these traditions or why these values or why this perspective, where, where does it come from? What service is it, is it uh, what purpose is it serving? Right. And that's, that's one. And the other thing was the story that I gave her with like monkeys. Um, they did several experiments with monkeys that they put in a box collectively, right? And then um, there was one, like a few bananas hanging from the ceiling. And whenever a monkey was trying to get up the ladder to get to a banana, they would collectively punish everyone with electroshocks. So her first reaction listening to that was like shocked eyes and looking to me. And I was like, I know, I know, it's not good. Keep listening. Um and then whenever, and then they started replacing monkeys in that box with other monkeys. Um, and then they would start collectively punishing each other whenever someone tried to go up. And then they replaced them one monkey after the next until all the monkeys were replaced. And by then, no monkey that was in the box has ever gotten an electroshock. But they kept the tradition of punishing each other whenever somebody was trying to go for a banana. Wow. So they don't even know why they were doing that. They just learned it's bad to go for bananas. So we punish whoever tries to go for them. And so this was the example that I gave her to be like, okay, traditions are good. They serve a purpose, but maybe they don't anymore. And most people don't even know why they do things. When you ask them, like, why is this bad? Why is this wrong? Why do you think this way? They don't know. They're like, oh, we've always been doing it this way, right? Yeah. And then that helped her. And then I looked at her and I was like, and you remember when I said electroshocks and monkeys and you got big eyes, there was something within you, deep within you that was like, no, that's not good. Mm -hmm. Right. And you say you love God so much and you do this for God. God gave you a compass. He gave you a feedback in your gut feeling. He gave you a deep no when you hear electroshocks and monkeys. You don't have to listen to me. You don't have to listen to your family, to society, or to traditions. You have to listen to that compass because God is there. You know, He's already in you. He's already in in that compass. So, uh, if you doubt or if you're not sure what to do and what's right and what's wrong, 
always go with that compass. Yeah. And then I could let her go. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I can't let you go. That was a beautiful teaching moment. I mean, yeah, I relate a lot because I think oftentimes when we think about religion, we think it's like something from the outside that's coming with a set of rules that then we have to impose on us. But actually, right, as you said, that God is within us. So it's when we're listening to God, it's actually listening, listening to ourselves. It's not about just, you know, blindly abiding rules but it, it is actually about finding this deeper connection to yourself um and you know this we've talked about this in so many ways but it's like when you're at an intersection of so many different identities and and you're trying to create the space of healing both for your community and you're trying you know on the one hand to like living in germany to um yeah, like really fight against discrimination and Islamophobia that is very much alive here, but then coming into, you know, community, Muslim community and holding this queer identity and really trying to hold in and also the Lebanese identity part. So I'm curious, like, how do you kind of hold all these intersectional identities? Um, you know, I think it's one of the things that we've been talking about that I think is so beautiful is that through the listening to yourself, you can really start to create and embody what it is that you want. But sometimes it's really hard. I mean, I feel this too. It's like being a mix at the center of so many different communities who are all wanting different things from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard. So I'm curious how you, if you relate to all of that. You know, I just, I think I accept people's blindness. Mm. In a way. Like I, I see that I also get, you know, I do a lot of inner child work as part of my healing circles and my coaching. And whenever I overreact because of some trigger or other people, I always have this reminder of see the inner child, become aware of it. It's always there, but like we're not aware of it. Is this adult me that's reacting right now or is this triggered in the child? Right. And at the same time, when people react or overreact, I now, because of practice, I'm so aware of this child sitting in front of me or the child within them. Um, that jumped to the microphone of herself and basically is now speaking to me. And I'm like, okay, okay, I hear you. What is your need? What is the pain, right? Um, so it's not their full aware, rational, healed self that speaks in these moments. And that's one thing. I always see their inner child coming up and I see their lack of perspective. And sometimes you speak um from your wound and you're not you know from your mind basically and you can't really fully react accordingly but like how people want you to and so this is where like now my mostly or to a big extent healed self we never fully heal right like uh, all my ancestors pain with me and i still have all this pain from you know everything's pain everywhere in a way but i think i'm healed enough to um see the blessing in me and and all these labels that i carry like i have all of these perspectives whenever you don't fit a mold you become aware of the mold itself Mm -hmm. right they are not aware of the mold they're in the matrix their conditioning the roles that they play in society um cis people like you know i'm also a cis man but like without my work or like you know my contact with trans people i would never would have never thought about me fitting into in a gender role that society has given me i fit like why should i think about that i'm a human of course i would never doubt that just they told me from a young age i felt that was right and then yeah like when somebody tells me like hey 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 or when i feel like i don't really fully fit in here i start doubting the context i start doubting the matrix the system the structure and then i become aware of it i see the pain that it inflicts on people but i see also 
disability gives other people. Mm -hmm. Um, and these perspectives, like having these, even though they mean pain at first because you don't fit in, as soon as you find your third culture community or like this international community or like your individual healing, as soon as you come out of there and you kind of are okay with it, what remains is the blessing of perspective, mm. right? And so I know that if I fully go into the Arab community or in the Muslim community or the conservative Muslim community or the white queer community, I know they lack perspectives to understand. And, and you can either say they lack perspective or you can say they have the privilege of fitting in. I think it's, you can see this as privilege and this as privilege. I think depending on how real you are, both can be privilege. And I know a lot of people don't want to say that, don't want to hear that. Um, it's not this, it's not this message of like, oh, pain makes me stronger, but perspective is blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, also being able to sit with your own pain, it's like, that's where you grow so much, both you grow your own resilience, but yeah, you grow your awareness, your knowledge, like the more you relate to your own pain, your own history, the more you can actually connect to other people mm-hmm. instead of living in these, you know, rigid binaries of what's identity and what's true and what's not true. And, and the biases, right? And the biases. Yeah. And I really love what you said about, you know, the mold and many people are not aware of the mold until they're basically asked to be, are challenged by that, by people who break the mold. And I think one of the things that you're really good at is really staying present with people as they're breaking their molds. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, some people, they get triggered by people. You're like, Oh, you're just seeing this in this way. And so I'm going to walk away from you and I'm not going to engage. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think you have such beautiful stories of like having people like, you know, project things onto you, having people make all these assumptions and somehow you're still staying present in relationship and allowing them to let the mold deconstruct. Mm-hmm. I think it comes from. I, I have a deep love for humans. <laughs> so, me too. We share this. <laughs> right? it's, 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 like, you know, they might stab me and then I, I have, sometimes I see this image of like, this, they stab me and then I hold their hand and I look into their eyes and like, I forgive you because I know it's not actually about me. And in a way, we're all one, we're all connected and we're all like, this is also like based on my beliefs. I believe I came here for a reason. I believe I came here to, to be part of this collective and to um, you know, figure things out, to understand life, to move forward, to find God here. Um, as this comes from Sufism, right? But like find my lover everywhere and see God in other people and see God in flowers and see God in the walls and music that is being played. Like the message, I love you is everywhere. Um, but the waking up hurts because there is a transition of waking up, realizing that you're disconnected. And there, I think most people are in, in the conscious state of, or the consciousness state of accepting the disconnection and grief of, they feel the deep disconnection. They feel there's something I was disconnected from. And we then start projecting that onto other events in our life. I was disconnected from my homeland. I was disconnected from my mother as a kid. I was disconnected from my youth. I was disconnected from my dream. But I think um, the root of that is the deep disconnection of we, we were somewhere connected with something, probably God or something else. But like we all feel that, that there's something deep missing. And I think this is it's supposed to be that way, because otherwise, when if that hole wasn't there, we wouldn't move. We would just sit there and be like content. Yeah. Right? We wouldn't seek for truth, for authenticity, for and all that. 
I don't know how I got here, but uh, <laughs> uh, I have this deep love for people because I feel like I see this process of them and I'm the same way I hold my inner child and then I see this isn't my pain, but I'm connected to that pain and this pain is within me. This is another like form of seeing it. The pain is within me, but it's not my pain. It's the pain of my inner child and I can hold him in pain. Mm-hmm. I hold him while he's lashing out at me. You know, sometimes we're angry at ourselves, right? Definitely. He's lashing out at me and like he's in pain and all that. And he's telling me that it's all unfair and painful. And then I hold him and I'm like, yeah, I hear you. Okay. Um, and the same way I do it with other people. I hold their, my pain, but then it's mostly my inner child on one hand. And then they basically take, give the other hand out to their inner child. I'm like, okay, I know you're lashing out and Try not to try not to hit me, please. <laughs> Boundaries are very important with yourself and with other people there too. But behind that boundary, I'm still having like still reaching out my hand, and I'm sitting here with you, trying to figure out this pain and letting it fade away. Basically, after feeling it, yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I feel you. Yeah. I mean, I love everything you were saying, especially about we have this like big disconnection inside of us and we're constantly trying to fill it in some ways. Some Sometimes in, you know, patterns that don't serve us, sometimes we're not really aware that, you know, the reason why I'm lashing out at another person is because I can't actually hold my own pain. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and all these very like psychological dynamics. And, you know, a lot of the times they kind of get um, really obstructed in activist or justice world where we think we're like doing justice, but really, we're just lashing out at each other because we, in some ways, have an inability to hold this much pain, this much grief, this much loss. And, and you know, I get it because there's a lot of loss. There's a lot of grief. There's been a lot of violence. There still is a lot of violence. And this is something that I personally struggle with, too. It's like, what is this connection between this healing work, this justice work, this spiritual work? I mean, they all feel so connected. Um but sometimes it's hard because the communities who practice them are separated. Exactly. And sometimes, I mean, we can only feel so much. We all have like a limited capacity of feeling. Yeah. So I try to work towards having more capacity to hold space, which is my job in so many ways. Sometimes I, you know, I just have days where that's limited and then I have to limit how much I work. Right. But um, other people just don't have, like I grew up with people my mom had such a tough story growing up, okay, and living in civil war, and then basically, uh, you know, getting away from that, coming to Germany. Um, but because of that, I, I had to understand at some point, this has nothing to do with me. She just can't hold my pain because she she's barely holding her, her own, right? And then sometimes I would be like, why in this, in this, in, in this fights with her? Like, or the other people in my family that also live in deep trauma. Why can't they be the grown up? Why do I have to be the adult here and like accept, like forgive them and like, you know, be quiet and just understand that they are how they are. They can't be better. Um, now I understand. It's just, you know, they, they've collected so much pain and trauma in their life and the capacity is full. They just mm-hmm. can't. Right? And the same way I told you that story of like me traveling. Um, in Latin America and you meet so many Israelis there and uh, as an Arab or like as a Lebanese also you are always whenever you meet there's this elephant in the room both are asking themselves like okay am I safe here do you hate me do you think I hate you (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's it's always that and then it's often 
I haven't it's often the same thing of when they figure out that I have like an app that's really interesting. For Israelis, it's always an Arabic. They don't really like understand that they're like different ethnicities, different, but it's often like, oh, you're an Arab. And then they start like, oh, wahat name. And then <laughs> they start counting with, it, with this accent. Right? And like, yeah. yeah, 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 I know, I know. They're like, Habibi, I realized that. We're cousins. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Which, again, I try not to get annoyed by that because I try to see the intention of that child mm-hmm. trying to reach out to me and be like, hey, I don't actually want to be having a problem with you. Can't we be friends? Yeah. Right? This is the, what the child actually is saying. And then, of course, there's also the pain within me coming up whenever they confront me, like you spend time with these people because they're the same, you know, same context. And then you are always confronted with the sorry, but bullshit images there being fed or like, you know, history there being fed or like, you know, when we came there, there was only desert. Yeah. And then it's, it hurts this kind of, and then, you know, a part of me doesn't want to interact with that. And I don't want to educate people on history or whatever. Um, But then again, I try to understand that it's not them. It's the structure behind them um, that has made them who they are and then has influenced them. And this is also about like, becoming conscious of certain things. It's also pain. Like the same way when we talk about racism in general or like anti-black racism and we talk about white people, there's also like now Nazis in Germany. There's so much pain in waking up to that also as a white person, realizing that it was all done in your name, right? Um, And I try to see all these kinds of pains. Like we're all together in this really big, meshed up uh, you know not work of pain mm-hmm. and then yeah and then you have these moments when I told you that story of like uh, Aya that I met at the Caribbean and we we really liked each other but whenever she drank a little more in that group she started telling everyone Ahmed doesn't actually like me he hates me like he hates me because I'm a Jew or he doesn't actually like me because I'm a Jew and I was like, oh, yeah, like, and she kept saying that every now and then. I was like, oh, yeah, I really don't have a problem with you. I don't know you yet. <laughs> like, how can I hate you? Um, but you, you could see that this image of like this Arab that can possibly really like her. He has to be fake, right? Um, was so deep programmed in her head. And then also when I tried to tell the people, like, um, when they ask me, like, when they often the people ask me, like, do Lebanese people really hate us? Like Israelis often, like, oh, I you know, do, do Lebanese really hate us? And I'm like, yeah, some do. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Um, but I also don't know you as a person. They yeah. know the label Israeli and all that pain that was inflicted by that label and what they relate to that label. And so you, they are hating an image of what they think you are the same way when people hate queer people because of their own fear. Of course, it doesn't justify things at all, right? But yeah. it explains that they don't have a problem with you as an individual, really. They don't know you. But they're so in pain when it comes to certain labels or modes that they have to um, fulfill or you are threatening in a way. And so I often also tell people from story that... Um, sorry, I'm like on, on and on and on. <laughs> it's okay. We keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's um you know i tell them about my brother-in-law who grew up in the south of lebanon and then uh, whenever i mention israeli friends he gets really tense 
And I understand because one day we had a conversation and he was like, you have to understand, like I, as a teenager, there was this missile or rocket or whatever that um, came into my village and, you know, it hit really close to where we were playing as a teenager, right? And um, then they all went to that rocket or missile or whatever, and then on it was written or whatever was left of it was written. This is for the, this is from the children of Israel for the children of Lebanon. And, you know, when you hear these stories and know that kids grew up seeing these images, of course, they will believe, okay, them over there, they hate us, they want to kill us. And so we have to hate them back as, as uh, self-protection. But also, then I then faced my brother-in-law and was like, hey, okay, but now you're an adult. Just listen to me for a second. Do you really believe that a child wrote that? And he was like, no, you're right. And I was like, yeah. I was like, some grown-up asshole in the military who, you know, had a power complex or whatever and, like, really wanted to put out more hate. And so that's what he then did. It wasn't all the Israeli people. It wasn't some child. It wasn't the children of Israel, whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. But so I think I understand, like, his capacity in that context to hold other opinions when those opinions have confronted him with hate and I'm going to kill you and whatever, they're just closed. There are no capacities there. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, even reflecting with me as a child, like I know that I was conditioned, right, to think of people in a certain way that just wasn't true, you know? And, and in some ways, all of us are conditioned in ways to think about certain groups of people that's like, oh, these people are this or these people are that. And, you know, in some ways, I think it's because we're all looking for someone to blame, right? Because in, in some ways, the pain that we're holding is unbearable. And, and these systems are constantly using us like, to pit each other against each other. And, you know, something that I reflect a lot about is how um, so much injustice can continue because our communities are really segregated and separated mm -hmm. and there isn't space for relationship. And I, and I don't want to say this in the way of like, you know, the superficial dialogue sense, because we have to also acknowledge imbalances of power and, and systemic oppression but there's something about like we really need to have some multi-faith multicultural, multi-racial spaces that bring people of different identities who have shared values together to decondition because it's really hard to just decondition it on your own you know and even with your own self-segregated community like this is something that I'm struck by so often is just how even when there's no walls, there's no borders, like people still choose to self-segregate into communities because it feels more comfortable for them. But I, yeah, for me personally, I feel like so much of the healing work happens when we can really like decondition those narratives relationally and communally. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of this work is happening in queer communities because they are different. It's like a mix of people that are very different from each other when it comes to race, when it comes to ethnicity, background, all these things, right? Like there are labels that are um, confronted with. Um, even in the spectrum, it's an umbrella term, right? There are people like who in a way know how to, how like they they um, they sympathize with the other person's experience with being different not fitting the mold but where exactly they weren't fitting or how or how intense it's different from person to person and still they like kind of connect over that joint umbrella term and um yeah i think in a lot of ways um queerness is a key for healing mm -hmm. queer communities where uh, people you know meet each other i see that a lot also 
that you know also when it is i mean um i also just you know i'm going to burning man next week um as part of this camp and um the cosmic camels <laughs> and um there was this guy that reached out to me this palestinian guy that wants to um propose to his boyfriend and israeli boyfriend and i find this so beautiful like you know just a symbol like two guys one palestinian and one israeli but it's reality it's not some sort of man yeah. fiction this is happening in real life because they're fed up with all these like um reasons to hate each other or um generally like uh doesn't matter like because we're already like we're being told that you know you're a guy and you can't love another guy and then it makes it easier for you to disregard this like oh you're arab you cannot like another person that's or you're muslim you can't like a jew you're an arab you can't like it you know all these binaries yeah, that society is creating you disregard them more in queer spaces because you're already used to like, oh, this is just society and they're weird, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're already in that. Where we're going to get healing. Yeah, yeah, that third space, the in-between identities, like yeah. where everything really starts to fall apart yeah. and you're just like, you know what? Humanity. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it's still like, when I say that, I, you know, you'd always get this attack of like normalization, normalization. Like I think by having these contexts and telling Aya, Aya, I don't hate you and telling Aya, but Aya at the same time, the history you're being fed is kind of bullshit to an extent. Right. Um, this is where change comes in, right? And this is where care comes in. Cause when people then like, you know, shout at the label and the, 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 you know, the fantasy of what an Israeli is and who he hates and who he wants to kill and what he wants, I have Aya in my head and have other people in my head like now that we mentioned her of course I think of her but like I know that this isn't what she wants yeah I know this isn't who she is and so um I think this is where um yeah like a big crucial part of this the change comes in definitely yeah because ultimately these systems of oppression are really built on this way in which fear lives in our body you mm -hmm. know and the way that fear fear of the other mm -hmm. You know, and, and people don't question it. They just internalize it and it amplifies until they have someone come and like rupture that for them. They're like, Oh, yeah, maybe I didn't know this history here. Maybe I was just, you know, thinking that this person I just met hates me because of some really like governmental propaganda. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like th these, these moments of rupture, I think are, are so important. And in some ways, they can only really happen through relationship because. You know, people are not necessarily, if you're in the mold, you're not going to know to move out of the mold <laughs> exactly. until someone like comes and pokes you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you said something really interesting before of like, we're all trying to move the pain, like away from, like not feel the pain and move away or move it to someone else. Yeah. And I feel like in a, in a way this is happening everywhere. Like everyone is trying to push the, take their own pain because it's just too big. We don't want to sit there and feel all the world pain. Right? And I think collectively it's this pain of disconnection and not understanding and waking up to so much destruction. Yeah. Like we're all, we come here and think everything's fine, but like we're disconnected. And then we wake up to so much disconnect and destruction. And so everyone is pushing this to someone else, to a bigger institution, to another country, to another time, like everyone in, in on all levels of life, we're all just pushing it away instead of holding. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where creating spaces, spaces in your mind and as perspectives and um, capacities, mental capacities, 
mental health, right? Creating all these and all of that is capacity, right? All of that is room. Create space, more and more space, and hold that space instead of moving it away. Um, for you, for other people, and like allowing pain to come in, pain in really emotional, like, you know, an emotional body, you can feel the pain, pain and, and words and all of that. Allowing the pain in there to open, to release, to be felt, this hurts, and then to dissipate after being processed. I think this is ultimately how we heal, not ourselves only, but our community, our family, friends, and the whole world. Because we have to see it as this big network of pain that's constantly moved away. And if we then create like here and there and there and there, and like I'm thinking of your projects, I'm like, oh, I'm going to join you, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, all these ideas of like, oh, we can create different spaces within ourselves, in our communities, but also around the world, physical spaces, where we open a space for pain to enter, for it to transform through perspectives, education, spiritual work, to release, to be felt, and then to dissipate. It's this mm -hmm. charge that has mm -hmm. to go somewhere, right? Yeah. And right. yeah, don't know. I just have this image of this network, and like you have to hold and open somewhere. Yeah. And all these places to do pop, pop, and hold, hold until it dissipates. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then yeah, everything is going to calm down. Hopefully, just at the same time, there is more energy accumulated and created. Yeah. While we do this whole like, oh, we have to open here. <laughs> But, but we get stronger when we hold it together, yeah. you know, because none of us can do it alone. Yes. Like we need this collective field in a way. And, and the more we fortify that, the more we can actually hold. Uh, yeah. But this is, I mean, then boundaries become really crucial because this is what you have to learn when you start alone. And when you open a space, then people will throw all their pain at you. Oh, yeah. I, have I mean, especially as Pisces, like, babes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, later on, Pisces. Me too. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, of course, they, you know, I have this thing of like people, you know, I understand, like I care about you and stuff, but I can't meet you all the time and then right. hold your pain because then I overload my capacities and then I'm not able to work anymore. And, and then also there's a dependency that's created that's exactly. like, I can't hold my own pain. Ahmad has to hold it for me all the time. Exactly. When really it's supposed to be this training wheel, right? Like sometimes like, and I think this is the, the role in sometimes of healers is to help train people on how to hold their own pain. Yes. Like sometimes I can do that for you when you are struggling, but really the goal should be like also teaching skills and resources to how to do this. Cause we, we need to learn how to self-regulate our nervous system. Um, Definitely. And I think this is like the, <laughs> the typical, um, well, how do you, how do you call that? Like the typical thing of inner child workers of like everything, the key to everything is inner child work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. this is what you do. This is like when you teach people to disso dissociate in a way, which sounds negative, but it isn't in that way. It's like a tool of like, mm -hmm. this isn't my pain. I feel it, but this is his pain or her pain or their pain. Right, this child that I'm feeling, I can dissociate from that pain. I can observe it from outside, and I can like, oh, what are you feeling, right? And why are you feeling that? Thinking of like closing the eyes and imagining this you as a child, and then like talking to that child. I'm like, okay, why are you feeling this? This way, you can hold space for yourself. And I always say like, I love to hold my own hand, go through oh. things with me, right? I'm doing right yeah. now, <laughs> holding hand. <laughs> and I think this is a tool in a child work is one yeah. tool that you can use to um to hold space for yourself because you're holding space for that part of you that is feeling the pain. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah.
Well, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom. I'm curious if there's anything we didn't touch on yet that you want to <laughs> make sure our listeners know. Um, no, I think it was beautiful. I think, uh, yeah, I always, you know, always trust where things flow. Yeah. Of course, I mean, we always have so much to talk about, right? Yeah. Like we always have messages that we want the, the world to listen to. But again, we don't want to overload capacities and um, better give people two messages that they take rather than eight. And then they don't really fully take them in. So Yeah, definitely. And if there's ways that people who are listening to this want to follow your work, want to keep in touch, what are the best ways they can follow you? Uh, I I have a website that's thehealingcon.com or thehealingcon on Instagram. Um, con with K-H-A-N, the H before the N, before the A. <laughs> <laughs> so the Healing Con. But you mean you, you they can just go in your profile and yeah. look in your followers. <laughs> right, right. Search for me. Well, thank you so much, Ahmad. This was thank so beautiful. You thank you for this, um, yeah, this moment of sharing so much of your wisdom. I was really moved by so much of what you shared and also resonate very deeply um, with both your work, your perspective. And um, yeah, it's very clear the commitments that you have to the love of humanity, to truth, to to yourself, which is in service of our greater healing. So Thank you so much. Thank you. I think we're doing a lot of similar work, which is on different sides in a way. Yeah. Not the different side. I'm not talking <laughs> about like, oh, Jew, Muslim, whatever. Like, I'm just saying generally, yeah? Of course. Um, <laughs> right? We never Wait, are, am I on the Muslim side or oh, the Jewish side? <laughs> I mean, because you're Arab, people don't really want yeah. to give you the Jewish. Concern. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, no, thank you also for the chapter and the joint memories in Berlin, because we don't know if they'll walk in the city at the same time again it's a beautiful chapter yeah um so yeah if we ever look back on this so also thank you for all of these moments oh so so wonderful to spend them with you 